You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. First one is 12 left over. This one is seven. And of course, one of the things here, if you haven't caught it, is God loves the world, not just the Jew. He loves the Gentile and he cares for you. He has compassion for you. He wants to meet your need. And he has not only the capacity to meet your need, he has the capacity for overflow. And that's the kind of God we serve. You don't want to just get you where you're satisfied. He wants to overflow. God made it clear in the Bible. He sent His Word, prophets, and Son to the Jewish people. They've been His people since creation. However, as Pastor Danny explains today, He didn't do this in order to exclude all other people. He did this in order to reach the whole world. His desire was for His people, Israel, to take the Word of God to the world. Jesus recognized the needs of the Gentiles, and in His compassion, He met those needs. He knows your need. He'll meet your needs in abundance. You must simply believe in Him and trust Him. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Mark, chapter 8, as he begins his message, Spiritual Growth and Understanding. Mark's Gospel, chapter 6. We're in chapter 8, but I want you to go to chapter 6. And a book somebody gave me recently called On Being a Servant by Warren Wearsby. I've just started using this as a devotional. And I was in uh, the third chapter. They were all very brief. I I don't want to think about where I would insert it in the message. So I'm just going to read the section that complements the message. And if you pay attention, you'll, you'll see that. But it says this, this one little section, the people God calls us to serve have all kinds of needs, physical, emotional, relational, financial. But at rock bottom, their greatest need is to be rightly related to God and his will. That doesn't mean the word of God and prayer will pay their bills or feed their stomachs. We don't quote a Bible promise to hungry people, pray for them, smile and say, depart in peace, be warm and filled. James 2.16. We do what we can to put food on the table. But unless we help people grow into a right relationship with God, whatever help we give will be only a stopgap measure, a quick fix, until the next time they have a need. And then the cycle is repeated. Perhaps that's one of the major differences between Christian ministry and mere humanitarian benevolence. As helpful as it may be, both can be done in love. Both can put food on the table and shoes on the feet. But only true Christian ministry can put grace in the heart so that lives are changed and problems are really solved. In Mark chapter 6, in the first of the miraculous feedings by Jesus, it says in verse 34, when Jesus landed, 
and saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They had need. So he began teaching them many things. We know he'll meet their physical needs, but that wasn't at this point their greatest need. And that took me to 2 Timothy, and I just want to read it. You don't need to turn to it. Chapter 3, verse 16, all scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, there's the fun times, correcting, get you back in line, and training in righteousness, right living, so that the man of God, the child of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So every time the word of God is read, meditated on, uh, preached, taught, uh, one of these four things is happening if people are listening. And it's interesting, it doesn't have to be just one thing at a time or one person at a time, certainly. While one is being taught, the other is being rebuked, corrected, trained. But these four things, thank God for his word. Deuteronomy tells us that God led Israel in the wilderness wanderings and he caused them to hunger and thirst in order to teach them that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And if we don't learn that, we've missed it. We get our physical needs met, but we never move beyond that. And so now we come to the second of the miraculous feedings in Mark chapter 8. A large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. But they've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. Just a little side note. Usually you just got to wait 45 minutes for me to get done and you go eat. They had to wait three days. If I send them home hungry, they'll collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. And his disciples answered, but we're in this remote place. Can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Interesting question. Because he says, how many loaves do you have? Now, he asked the same question in the first miraculous feeding. And in the first one, remember how many loaves they had? Five. And they had two fish. But wait a minute, there are thousands of people. And so here he asked again, well, how many loaves do you have? Because they said, we don't have, we're in this place, we're going to get enough food to feed all these people. Well, that's the same thing that it said before. How many loaves do you have? And now they got seven. That's two more than they had last time. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks. He broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they did so. They had a few small fish as well. Now, in my opinion, it doesn't tell us, but in my opinion, at last time they had five loaves and two fish. And here they have a few fish. And a few to me is at least three. If I had just two, I'm not going to say, well, I got a few. No, I got two. Now, I could be wrong, but I, I think if you're a betting person, you'd bet they got at least three. So they got two more loaves and probably at least one more fish. So he gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. And the same thing that happened the first time happens this time. They don't just eat and go, well, I wish I had a little more. No, apologize. hey, you want some more? And you want some more? Yeah. And then, and then finally, no, I'm full. I'm done. 
That's it. They were satisfied. And afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. How many left over the first time? Twelve. And now seven left over. About 4,000 men were present. It says 5,000 in the first one, but that's still thousands of people, not including, I mean, thousands of men, not including women and children. And having sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples, and he went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. That's interesting because there's all kinds of signs happening. And he sighed deeply. Why does he sigh deeply? Because he knows the condition of their heart. They're not there to ask him a question and in order to find out truth. They're not really looking for answers from Jesus. They're looking to test him so they can catch him and hopefully ultimately crucify him, which they finally got their way. But their hearts aren't right. They're not looking for truth. And so he sighs deeply. He says, why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given to it. And the idea and the context is you've already got enough evidence. You're going to ignore that evidence. You think God's going to cater to your intellectual ignorance? I love what Alistair Begg said on this point. Christ is more than willing to cater to our intellectual integrity, but not pander to our intellectual arrogance. Then he left them, got back into the boat and crossed to the other side. And we don't need to get bogged down in that. Very simple to understand. Jesus does what he tells his disciples to do. When you go to a town, if they, if they hear you, then peace be unto them. And let your peace rest there and God's peace rest there. If they don't listen, shake the dust off your sandals and head on. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to get it. Then that's, go on. There are others that will. First time the Pharisees were offended, the disciples came to Jesus and said, don't you know this offended the Pharisees? He said, leave them. Leave them. They're blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, they'll both fall into a pit. And so here he leaves them. Now, verse 14 is interesting. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread. And they had a lot of bread left over. But they didn't bring any leftovers. Several one loaf they had with them in the boat. And Jesus says, be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And they discussed this with one another and said, and in the discussion, they're saying, what, what do you think he meant by that? Well, I think he meant this. I think he meant that. We don't know how long the discussion went on. And this is like, if you will, this is really like discussing what a scripture means. Because every time Jesus spoke, that's the word, right? And they're saying, what do you mean? What did that word mean? What did it mean? And finally, they, they conclude, it's because we have no bread. <laughs> I mean, these 12 guys get together, and they discuss for however long, and they're trying to figure out what in the world he mean by that statement. They say, it's because we didn't bring any of the leftovers. He's upset with us. And if this happens again, you know, he's going to say, well, doggone it, I've had you more than you needed, and you had enough left over. I don't have to keep doing miracles, do I? Aware of their discussion, Jesus asks them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Pause there a minute. A hard heart is not always somebody who's made a commitment to Christ, like these guys who had left everything to follow him. That's pretty good commitment. And then gone back, reneged, and gone back to the old lifestyle. Sometimes a hard heart is somebody who, well, they've committed to Christ, but 
in all of us, me included, in our natural selves, sometimes we just don't get it. Sometimes we're just clueless, even when we shouldn't be. He's taught us something, he thinks we got it, we don't got it. We should be moving on, and we're not moving on. Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls did you pick up? They started to think. Twelve. And when I broke the seven loaves, just happened for the 4,000. How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They said, seven. And he said, do you still not understand? It's a fascinating study for me. When you compare the feeding in Mark 6 and the feeding here, there's some things that if you really get into it, um, you learn some things. There's some teaching here. I think it's really exciting teaching. For example, the crowd in Mark 6 is a Jewish crowd. The crowd here, if you've been paying attention, this is the area of the Decapolis. This is the 10 cities. This is a Greek area. This is primarily Gentiles. There's some Jews scattered, but it's primarily Gentile. So this is primarily a Gentile crowd. So the Mark 6 account, you got a Jewish crowd here, you got a Gentile crowd. That's important. The words used, and here's where Bible programs that can allow you to take your mouse and click on and find out the Greek or the Hebrew word can be very helpful. Because the Greek word used in Mark 6 for the 12 baskets of leftovers, it's the word kofinos. And I don't usually try to wow you with Greek because I don't know Greek. Why would I wow you with it? And some people just throw out the Greek or trying to just impress you to seem intellectual. But sometimes just saying the Greek is actually helpful. It helps us. Kofinos, what is it? What is it? It's what the word means. That's what's important. It's, a, it's more of a, a small, if you will, lunch type basket. And in the first one, a Jewish crowd, you get 12 leftover baskets. That's one for each apostle. It's a personal basket for each apostle to remind them of what Jesus just did. Hey, he has compassion. He cares for your personal needs, and he's going to meet your need, and he'll give you not only what you need, he'll give you abundance. But it's especially a message to Israel. Twelve in the Bible, you've got to be careful with numbers in the Bible because some people take them and go crazy with them and say things that they don't really mean. But 12 is clearly representative of Israel, 12 patriarchs, 12 tribes, 12 apostles, New Jerusalem, foundation, 12, and all that, 12 speaks of Israel. We have a Jewish Messiah. He's come to the Jew first, but not only to the Jew, it's through the Jew, to the Jew and meant to be through the Jew. So you have the Jewish feeding. 12 leftovers, a message not only personally to each of the 12 apostles, but a message to the Jewish people. God loves you, cares for you, not only your your physical needs. He has compassion for you, but he, he loves you enough that he sent his Messiah to die for you. But now you have a Gentile crowd. And the basket, it's a different basket. It's a different word. It's the word spurious or spurious. Totally different word and totally different basket. It's like the difference in our English of saying, uh, you forgot your lunchbox, but this one is not your lunchbox. This one, you forgot your hamper. 
And some of us, that's what we carry to lunch. It's a hamper. Some of us carry the lunchbox. Some of us carry the hamper. Isn't this fascinating, though? The first one is, is one word, and it's one basket. This one is a different word. It's a different basket. That's not an accident. First one is 12 left over. This one is seven. And, of course, one of the things here, if you haven't caught it, is God loves the world, not just the Jew. He loves the Gentile, and he cares for you. He has compassion for you. He wants to meet your need, and he has not only the capacity to meet your need, he has the capacity for overflow. And that's the kind of God we serve. He don't want to just get you where you're satisfied. He wants to overflow. But don't misunderstand that. We, we don't hang, hang on to the whole message here. Seven hampers. I'm convinced the size of the containers especially in the second miraculous feeding, speaks prophetically of the great vast number of Gentiles that will be reached through the ministry of Jesus. Israel is a relatively small nation. And the people of Israel, a minority among the nations of the world. Gentile is anybody that's not Jewish. That's the rest of the world. That's a lot of people. In Revelation 7 alone, speaking of a future time known as the Great Tribulation. And Revelation 7 and verse 9 speaks of what's going to happen in that day. John says, after this, I looked, verse 9, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language other than Jewish, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. These are Gentiles who get saved during the great tribulation. And it's a vast multitude. That doesn't even include all the Gentiles that have gotten saved since Christ's first coming. And it's not just a numerical difference in the hamper leftovers. It's because as a nation and as a whole, as a people in Jesus' first coming, he was rejected by his own people. And they have gone into spiritual blindness. Always has been a remnant, always will be a remnant, but it's a small minority of Jews that are called Messianic Jews. They believe Jesus is their Messiah. And in the great tribulation, what will happen is Israel will be purged. They will see their foolishness, their blindness. They will see Jesus really is our Messiah. And a whole nation is going to get saved in one day. The number seven is clearly in the Bible a number which refers to completion or fulfillment. Hang with me. Pause with me just, just so you can see this. Just listen. Six days of creation, God rested on the seventh. Israel marches around Jericho seven times, and then on the seventh day, seven priests blow seven trumpets. Revelation 2 and 3, there are seven letters to seven churches. There were a lot of other churches in those areas, but God chooses seven sovereignly. And messages to the church for the whole church age, if my opinion is right, and then after the church age, Revelation 4, John hears a trumpet that says, come up hither. That's the rapture, if I'm right on my conviction. And then the great tribulation begins where the wrath of God is poured out on the world in seven years, and we are not appointed to suffer wrath. That's clear from the scriptures. 
And then Revelation 5, you have a seven-seal scroll. Revelation 8, from the seventh seal come seven angels who stand before God, and they're given seven trumpets. Then Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever because he's about to come back. Tribulation is almost over. Revelation 12, 3, red dragon, seven heads, seven horns. Revelation 15, 7, seven last plagues, which is the seven final bowls of God's wrath. So seven is clearly the number of completion and fulfillment. This is a good teaching, not because I'm doing it, because this is the Bible. And so in the first miraculous feeding, you got a real message. It's Israel, and God loves Israel, and he sent a Jewish Messiah, and he, but he loves the whole world. And now you got a Gentile crowd. And seven hamper baskets left over. And seven refers to completion or fulfillment. Fascinating verse. You want to write it down. You want to write it down. Romans chapter 11. Let me read this one fascinating verse. Romans. Did I say Romans? Romans eleven twenty five. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not become conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in that tribulation period, when the last Gentile destined to be saved is saved, Jesus breaks through the clouds and we move into a thousand-year reign of Christ, and the world gets better and better and better, and then we move into an eternity that you can't even wrap your mind around. So great to be saved. Now, while that, I think, is really cool stuff, it's not the main message of Mark chapter 8 and the miraculous feeding. When you compare the, account, the accounts, I don't know how you can do it in depth and not come with that teaching, and that's certainly cool prophetic teaching. But that's not the main message. What is? Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? Do you still not understand? This is the fun part. This is the rebuke. You say, that's a strong word. Okay, call it an admonition, whatever you want to call it. Jesus expected them to be further along in their understanding. All you got to do is go read Matthew chapter 6. Don't worry about your life, what you wear, what you eat, what you, you know, all those things. Because your father knows before, he knows you have need of those. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added as well. In other words, you don't have to worry about all the physical needs. You don't have to be anxious about that. I mean, if you're foolish and lazy, then you learn, need to learn how to discipline your life and, and get a job and work hard. But I mean, if it's, just, if it's just something that God is like Deuteronomy 8, he tells the Israelites, I led you. I led you, causing you to hunger and thirst, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Who would not expect a six-month-old, when they're hungry, to, and what do you do? Well, if you're smart and if you're a good parent, when that, child, when that child cries, a lot of times when that child cries is when they're hungry. And here's what you do. Here's what you do. Now, you need to get them on some kind of schedule, but I'm not going to get into that right now. But you take a bottle, you fill it with milk, and you put it in their mouth. And guess what? They stop crying. 
And here's what the Bible says, crave pure spiritual milk so that you might grow up. Thanks for joining us today on The Living Word. In this study of the book of Mark, Pastor Danny has been unpacking how time and time again, Jesus showed himself as a servant throughout his life here on earth. He was a prime example of what we should strive for as we live our days to the best of our ability. Most times, serving comes at a cost or a sacrifice for those you're serving, but it's worth it in the end. Jesus exemplified this with his sacrifice on the cross, serving us in the most ultimate life-altering way. We trust that this gives you hope, perseverance, and an ambition to serve those around you in a way that reflects Jesus to others. If you want to hear this teaching in the Book of Mark again, you'll find it by visiting our website, ccfstpete.church. Just look under the Resources tab and click on Teachings. You can also connect with us through social media. Look for links to Facebook, Instagram, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. That way you'll be notified as soon as we upload new videos. We also invite you to join our Bible reading program. Also under the Resources tab at ccfstpete.church. If you're looking for a church, we'd be happy to meet you at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. All the information you need is at ccfstpete.church, along with links to join us through the live stream. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in and learning more on The Living Word.